0: Morning, so uh, if you came in, you should have gotten a sermon outline. There are also kids' sermon outlines in the back. You will need them this morning, so if you have one, keep it handy. And if you're here for the first time, I am glad you're here, and I think this is a great example of what it looks like to walk through a book of the Bible. Because every week we're dealing with a different passage and a different theme, and the tone and the message of this sermon could not be more different than last week. Last week, we begin with, I want you to love one another. I called you so that you would love one another. I called you friends so that you would love one another. I chose you out of the world so that you would be mine and you'd love one another and you'd be my witnesses. And this morning, we begin with, the world hates you. So we're gonna talk about how we make that jump from love to hate and how they're two sides of the same coin. And so this morning, I'm going to be very direct. I know it's usually a problem for me, so you have to bear with me as as I deal with that. But we need to be very direct on the role of the Christian in this world. What it means for us to walk in the Spirit and walk among the world that is an enmity and enemies of God. And I have to be direct this morning. Because what Jesus says in this passage will threaten the safe little box most people have made for themselves. And we need to address this. Because when we talk about hatred and enmity with the world, it's something that we tend to gloss over or ignore because it makes us uncomfortable. And if you think... Being a Christian just means be nice to your neighbor and you'll have love and joy and peace with everyone for the rest of your life. Buckle your seatbelts. Because if you think that, you're either not a Christian or you have not been one long. Because if you bear the name of Christ, there is love and there is joy and peace in Christ. But there is anything but love and joy and peace in the world. Because being a Christian means that you bear the colors of your King means when people would go to battle, you would, you, you would fly your king's flag and you would wear his colors and you would stand face to face against your enemy because there is another army who flies the flag of their king and he's, our king and the prince of this world cannot be reconciled together and there is a battle line that's drawn And this spiritual war is going on at every moment, even if we don't realize it. And we are engaged in it. And you're either on one side or the other. You know what happens to those who choose middle ground? They get caught in crossfire and they die. There is no middle ground. You are either standing with the king of kings, or you are standing with the king of this world. And your fate is sure. So I want to jump right into our passage. We've got a lot to cover this morning. And so I hope you have your Bibles ready and your notes ready. Because this is, this is good. We need this. We live in a culture that wants to avoid everything uncomfortable. We live in a culture that doesn't want us to deal with reality. We live in a cu- culture that wants to act like evil does not exist. We live in a culture that wants to believe that everyone is just good. You can either believe the culture, you can believe the words of Christ, and as believers, we need to be sober-minded with these things. We need to be aware of what Jesus teaches. So we're going to pick up in our text in John, beginning in verse 18, and I'm actually going to read through chapter 16, verse 4. To give you a heads up, we're going to spend most of our time in verses 18 and 19, because that sets the tone for everything else, and then verses 1 through 4 of chapter 16, I'm going to briefly cover, and it will set us up for next week as well. So, John 15, verse 18. Listen carefully to the words of Jesus here. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. And if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogue. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just pray that you clear our minds, that you clear our hearts. Any division that is within us that desires for the world yet claiming your name, I pray that you destroy that, that you make us miserable in it. I pray that we hear clearly and soberly these words. This is not to take lightly. This is not to ignore. Jesus, leaves no room here for a middle ground. And I pray that as your people, we hold fast to who we are in Christ. That we trust in the Spirit sent to us as a witness, as a helper, as an encourager, that we may not fall away. Let's pray for those who do not know you this morning, Lord. They may realize that apart from you they are your enemies and as good as they may feel it is hatred of you that rejects you but Lord you are good you are gracious and you save sinners like us you send your spirit to bring our dead hearts to life and we pray for that pray for your continued work in us and through us that we may be witnesses to this world for the sake of your glorious name that the name of jesus christ may be exalted on our tongues may be lifted up in our worship may be present in our prayers and in our speech throughout the day so that the world will know that we are yours and that we may have boldness and confidence to be uncompromising in that pray that your word accomplishes its purpose this morning by the power of your spirit to the glory of god the father in the name of jesus christ amen All right, so let's kind of catch up where we've been. In the beginning of chapter 15, as disciples of Christ, we are called to abide, to remain in him. And we continued last week, we are also called to love. Because of Christ's love for us, because he lays down his life for us, we are to love and lay down our lives for one another. But in the same vein, those who abide and those who love will be hated These are two sides of the same coin. This cannot be ignored. Jesus leans in here and repeats himself. So we must pay attention. To be a friend of Jesus means you cannot be friends with the world or love what they love. So that causes problems for people. And that's a fair question. So what does that mean? It means can I not have friends? We should certainly Make friends with those in the world. Absolutely, so that we can reach them for Christ. But Paul, and Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 5 that if we didn't have friends with those in the world, we couldn't go out of our houses. We couldn't be a part of the world. And sure, we should have friends with those who are greedy and drunkards and sexually immoral. But we should not love what they love and do what they do. We are called out of this world to be witnesses of Christ to them. But we know that our hearts are weak. And we know that we want to please people and that we oftentimes end up encouraging what we despise. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures today because I want to cover a lot. Uh, I'm going to have them up on the screen. One of them, First John two fifteen through 17 Look what John says here. John continues after his gospel in his first epistle. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. John does not mince words either. For all, that is of, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, excuse me, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. You cannot love Christ and love the world at the same time. Jesus says, You cannot serve two masters. These masters are in complete opposition to one another. And they are not on good terms. There is no fraternizing after the warfare. So let's take some time to consider before we get into our text this morning. What does the world exalt? What does the world value? What does the world cherish? What does it hold most dear? What do you value? What do you cherish? What do you Hold most dear. Where do you find your satisfaction? Where do you find your identity? Is it in the same things that the world finds their identity and their satisfaction? Or do you find it in Christ? We must examine ourselves in this soberly. So let's pick up in verse 18. Right after saying... In verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. This is not, again, another conditional statement. Well, if the world hates you. It's basically saying, if the world hates you, when the world hates you. This is a certainty. You will see this throughout the passage. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it has hated you. They hated our Lord They crucified him. What should we expect for bearing his name? And so the first thing we must do in these first two verses is look at the repetition here. We see hate in verse 18. And so we've got to spend just a moment here. Anytime, we've said this again and again and again, anytime there's emphasis in Scripture, excuse me, repetition in Scripture, it is for emphasis. If Jesus says the world hates you because it hates me, that's why it hates you, we're supposed to pay attention to that word hate. And this is very appropriate in our culture because hate is a buzzword in our culture today, right? Hate is one of those words that is thrown around all the time. And basically, it's code word for if you disagree with me, you hate me. So anytime there's a disagreement in our world, it becomes hate. And it is very often directed at Christians because we don't agree that there is hate. So we should follow that to its logical conclusion. We should hold the world to its same standard. Because if the world does not disagree with Christ, they hate Christ. They should be held to their own standard. So when a word like hate is, is, is thrown around, understand what it, what it really means. Understand what is really being said. And we're going to see this morning that Jesus will make the conclusive case that it is actually the world who has hatred in their heart. For him and everyone who bears his name. But many of you are going to say, well, hate, it's a very strong word. You know, uh, we're 21st century, we're a little, we're a little PC, shouldn't we just dial that back a little bit? Can we just say dislike? Jesus says hate. This word in both Hebrew and Greek is a burning. It is, it is a fire with, with, within you that you stoke. No, we cannot dial it back. Not only that, we're going to lean into it because most people will say, well, hate is a really strong word. You know, if these these nice unbelievers just knew more about Jesus, they would love him. They would embrace him. We just need to tell them all the good things about Jesus and sweep this hate and judgments and kingship stuff under the rug. If you believe that, you're fooling yourself. Well, Jesus says, hey, he must be exaggerating, right? So I want to spend some time on verse 18 and 19 because we need to set the groundwork here. Because just like how our our world uses hate, it also uses love. So think about this. The world loves Jesus until he disagrees with them. I want you to follow my train of thought here. The world loves Jesus until he disagrees with them. The world loves Jesus as long as he agrees with them Until he doesn't. So until us as believers, we we, we read scripture and we have to hold to our convictions, the world loves us until we say that marriage is between a man and a woman and is instituted by God to show us the relationship between Christ and his church. The world loves us until we say we can't support sexual immorality and condone it the world loves us until we say that God made them male and female. I can't believe this is even a discussion. The world loves us until we say who I am in Christ is more important than the color of my skin. The world loves us and loves Christ until we say all life is valuable, even a life within a womb. The world loves Jesus. Loves those who bear his name until we say, I will not join in your filthy entertainment and your filthy entertainers who you celebrate and worship all day long. I don't participate in that. Then the lines begin to get drawn. The world loves Jesus until we say all religions are not the same. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The world loves Jesus and us until we say my obedience to my God and his word are more vital than my obedience to a nation or a political party they love Jesus and those who are his until we say you must put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ or you are going to hell and i just scratched the surface i could do this all day long Our world only loves a Jesus of their own making. And many people who consider themselves Christians only love a Jesus of their own making. It's real easy to love a Jesus who fits in your box and makes you comfortable. When you really know who Jesus is and what he claims, you must either love him or hate him. You cannot ignore that. And anyone who thinks they just knew more about Jesus, they would love him. You don't know your Bible. Because in just a very few hours from where Jesus is right now, the same people who followed him for miracles and followed him for for bread will be shouting, crucify him. If Jesus was on earth today, preaching what he preached, says what he says in John chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus says, the world hates me because I call their works evil. If Jesus was on earth today, they would crucify him. First in social media, and then in the court of public opinion. And everyone who seeks this Jesus experience for what he can give them would hate him as soon as he shows them their sin. He shows them the standard of righteousness that he requires that only he can fulfill. And when he tells them that he is God, he is the only way to God, and that obedience and trust in him is the only way to be reconciled to God and your only hope for salvation, they would hate him. It's not the Jesus experience that many churches proclaim. If he says that I am the only life and anything apart from me is death, do you think this world would love that Jesus? Make sure we reorientate our minds to what scripture says. Make sure we're we have a biblically founded definition of who Jesus Christ is. Make sure it's not just Jesus the good moral teacher and healer who walked around with unicorns and butterflies flying around him and everything is supposed to be, you know, lucky charms and good stuff. Make sure it is Jesus Christ, the anointed of God, the Messiah God made the final sacrifice for sins, the king of kings, the high priest, the prophet of prophets, the Lord of lords who will reign forever. If you worship a little traveling, happy healer, you might as well worship Benny Hinn or somebody else. But don't be surprised, John tells us in 1 John chapter 3. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the Lord hates you. This should not surprise us. Jesus told us. He set this up for it. Because we're not meant to be loved by the world. Look at Luke chapter 6. This is, uh, as Jesus is presenting the the woes in Luke's version of uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Hold it here for a second. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. should make people pleasers uncomfortable. Woe to you when people speak well of you, because you know who the false prophets appeal to? Those who want their ears tickled. Those who want to hear what they, they really want to hear. Those who desire for everyone to love them. And if the world loves you, Woe to you if everyone in the world thinks that you are great. That's how they feel about the false prophets. Go on. But here's what we're supposed to do in the world. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. This is a difficult position that we are put into. We're put into the same position as Jesus himself. Be hated by the world. We can say, Father, forgive them. To be abused by them. Yet open not his mouth. To be hated by them and still go to the cross for them. To be hated by us. Our heart of hearts hates him. But he went to the cross for our sins. So that he might send his spirit that we might love him. This is the difficult tension that the believer is called to. I want to talk some more about that as we go. But I got to get out of verse 18. Verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. What do we see repeated here five times? World. You think Jesus is trying to make a point here? How many of those uh, allusions to the world is positive? Not one. One. Jesus is is, is making a statement here. Every one of these instances where Jesus mentions the world, it is in complete and utter contrast to the people of God. Read it again and listen. If you were of the world, he's saying you are not of the world. Because if you were, he would not say it like this. If you were of the world, so you are separate from the world, the world would love you as its own. The world would love you if it were yours, but it's not. Again, Christians contrasted to the world. But because you are not of the world, he says it again, but I chose you out of the world, he chose us so that we would be out of the world. That's part of our election. Therefore, the world hates you. Because you're not its own. Because you don't love what it loves. Because you belong to me and I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Many of us are surprised when the world acts like the world. How often are we surprised? Like, why would they do that? Why would they say that? I don't know why you're surprised, but I have this conversation all the time. Why does the world do this? Why does the world hate the things of God and hate the people of God? Well, either you think too highly of the world or you don't think highly enough of Jesus' words. Jesus told this, this is plain. The world will hate you enough that he repeats himself over and over again and he will say it later on in this passage. It hates you because it hates me. Don't be surprised when the world acts like the world. Don't be surprised when they're doing exactly what Jesus told us that they were going to do. But have a proper understanding of what it means to be separated from Christ and our sinful nature and the need to be reconciled to Christ. So, how do we differ? And so because I want to spend some time here, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. So I want to help you guys, for those who don't know their way around the Bible. Um, Ephesians is a few books to the right. I'm going to go past Acts and Romans, 1st 2nd Corinthians. I don't think this is going to work. Oh well. Uh, past Galatians and then Ephesians chapter 2. So, I want to trace through Paul's argumentation here. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. We we love what comes after this. But I want us to look at, at the beginning here. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. Speaking to the church now. If you were in the world, you were dead in trespasses and sins. In which you once walked past tense, following the course of this world. So Jesus is, in this passage in John, Jesus is contrasting the world to the church. Now Paul is saying who the church used to be. Don't be so quick to forget you were the same people in the world who I'm warning you against now. The once, once you walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. We talk about the the, the two sides facing off, this spiritual warfare. We serve the king of kings. If not, you serve the prince of the power of the air. You know how much power and stability is in the air? Not much. This prince is facing off against the king. The spirit that is now at work, currently, right now, in the sons of disobedience. You're either sons of God or sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This must be understood. Why are we at enmity with the world? Because these, this is what we were marked by before Christ. This is where everyone who is not in Christ is marked by. good friend and pastor of mine used to say the most beautiful but in the Bible, Ephesians 2, 4, But God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is the calling on the believer. You were dead. Now you are raised with Christ. You are to be known for him. You are to be known for heavenly things. And Paul finishes this argument the next book over to your right in Colossians chapter 3. Excuse me, two books over. You were dead, and now God, who is rich in mercy, raised you up with Christ. Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand. What are we to be marked by? Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. World. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore. How can we be in the world and and reach the world, yet not love what the world loves? We do this. Part of our sanctification, our growth, is to live to Christ, but also to put our sin to death. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly to you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. What more marks our culture than sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, and idolatry? You go down the list. But this is where the wrath of God is being poured out on. And it is coming for. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. This is past tense. This is the greatest before and ever after list that's been compiled. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not not Greek or Jew, And Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones. Christ said he chose us out of the world. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. How are we to be contrasted with the world? Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another and... If one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Could this not be more difficult than our culture? Our culture does not want to forgive, but wants everything to be a drama. Wants everything to be some juicy news story. We are to be marked by our patience and our forgiveness and our kindness for one another. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Why did Jesus call us out of the world? Why does he say the world hates us? Because this is what we're called to be. This is what he requires of us. Going back to John now, he says something interesting here. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you're not of the world. Loving one, one's own is something we need to think about here. We are drawn to those who are like us. The people who really desire the things we do and really get excited about the things we do, we like to be around them. And the world loves its own. And so here's... A necessary question, and if this sermon has been touchy-feely enough for you, I want to lean in a little bit further. Do your lost friends know that you are chosen out of the world? Do your worldly friends love you as their own because you love what they love? Do you care more about pleasing people or pleasing Christ? Galatians 1.10, this should all convict us to our core. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is self-examination for each one of us. But in reality, what's, what's the balance? Because we have to go back to work. We have to see our friends and our family who are, who are, who are not saved. We have to go about our, our day, and we don't, we're not going to walk around uh, with, with scowls on our face, literally fighting every day, pointing fingers and telling them how much they hate Jesus. So what does this look like for us? just want you to consider some, some questions. What do you love? What are you known for? Are you known for Christ? Where do you find your satisfaction and comfort? What do you fill your mind with throughout the day? And who do you most closely associate with? Do they love the things you love? Here's a real one. Can you spend an entire day with a lost person and they not know you're saved and you not know they're lost? And Maybe you, maybe we, are just too afraid that if we bring up Jesus, they will hate us. Because we all know this deep down. I've heard it from every one of you. I want to share the gospel, but I'm afraid of what they're going to say to me. This is going to affect the relationship. Are we now trying to please God, or are we trying to please man? If we're still trying to please man, we would not be servants of Christ. We know this in our heart of hearts. If I share Jesus with someone, there is a potential that they may hate me, and it may break this relationship. Jesus says, if you don't hate father and mother and sister and brother because of me, you're not worthy of me. I have come not to bring peace, but a sword. Many times it will create separation in our most dear relationships for the name of Christ. And what, what do we love more? The correct answer, Bubba, is always Jesus. Thank you. Verse 20. Where's Jesus' support for this? Remember the word that I said to you. Back in chapter 13, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. What Jesus is saying here is, Look what they did to me. You think that you deserve something different than I do? You think they're going to treat you differently than they treated me? Don't think they're going to hate me and love you. Get that out of your mind. You are not greater than your master. We can expect resistance and persecution. It is coming. Jesus assures us of it. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. We can expect persecution, and we can expect disobedience to God's word. The message of Jesus, the words of Jesus, are the words of the apostles. And Lord willing, it should be the words of us. They didn't accept his words. They shouted, crucify him. Know that they won't accept ours either. I just want to tell you, if you are here It is out of love that I tell you, if you do not accept his words, you are in opposition to him. Jesus says in verse 21, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name. This is a certainty here. They will do this to you. If you are in me, they will do this. They will hate you. They will persecute you. And they will disobey my words. Guaranteed. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Because they do not know him or the one who sent me. Want to know why we don't fear or fret what people say to us when we are persecuted and even just reviled or made fun of in Jesus' name? Because Jesus himself says right at the end of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Not just blessed when you're persecuted for being a jerk, But blessed are you when you're persecuted on my account. Jesus says rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you're disliked, if you're hated, if you're persecuted, rejected because of the name of Christ, it's because they don't know the Father. Don't take this personal. You know, there's... A sports analogy where we, we talk about not worrying about the, the name on the back of the jersey but the front. Our jersey, our team name is Christ. Too often we we'll are worry about the name on the back, our own name. Don't worry about the name on the back of the jersey. Don't, wor- don't worry about what they think about you. If they reject you, they're rejecting Christ. And you are blessed. And Jesus tells us to rejoice because you're in good company. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. This verse causes some, some, some problems to people. Um, well, what does it mean? Were they not guilty before? And if I just close my ears and, and, and try not to listen, I won't be guilty. Paul tells us clearly we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that. Isaiah tells us our own righteousness is as filthy rags. James tells us if you broke one commandment, you've broken them all. We're guilty. Guaranteed. But what happens here is when Jesus comes and speaks, Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah, as God in flesh, and they reject him. Their condemnation is confirmed. What is the unforgivable sin? Rejecting Jesus Christ as Lord. Not being transformed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus has spoken and he has made it plain. If I had not come and spoken, they would have been guilty of sin because the Jews could still say, I'm being good according to the law. I'm being wise in my own eyes. That's why Jesus came to the Jews first. I will show you what it means to be a perfect law keeper because I am the law giver. I will show you what it means to love my father with my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbor as myself. I will show you what that means. And now you will have no more excuses because you've seen the Perfect example, and you can't keep it. The only way you can keep the law is by trusting in me because I will keep the law for you. Now they have no excuse for their sin. Their sin is still on their heads. Now's the other part of this I have to say. If you are here and you don't know Jesus and you have heard these words, you now have no excuse for your sin. Your sin is on your head. James tell us, we looked at this verse last week in James. Chapter 4, verse 4. We must repeat it again because it's so vital to what we're talking about. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? If you desire to make friends with the world, you make yourself an enemy with God. Therefore, whoever wishes, if your desires to be a friend with the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. You cannot serve two masters. You can't be friends of God and the devil at the same time. But it's not just unbelief that leads people to reject the words of Jesus. Look at verse 23. Whoever hates me hates my father also. This hate comes back up. They don't receive my words because they hate me. Because they hate my father. Always Hatred of the Father and Son is connected like love of the Father and Son. You can't love one and hate the other. You can't reject Jesus and say, yeah, I love God, and I love Jesus only part of the time. It's not possible. Our God is one, and he cannot be separated. Jesus is the word made flesh. His words condemn them, but also so do his works. Verse 24, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. Jesus is saying, my words confirm who I am, and you rejected my words. I even did works. I performed miracles before you to confirm my words, and you still rejected me. My words condemn you, and my works condemn you. You can either love or hate him. You cannot be ambivalent toward Jesus. And if you reject Jesus, if you read these words... If you know who Jesus is, you hear the gospel proclaim and say, no, nah, I'm good. You have no excuse for your sin, and you're taking your sin on yourself. This is why the gospel is so important, because we are dead, as Paul tells us, in our sins. Apart from Christ, there is no hope. Apart from Christ, we are enemies of God. People say, well, God would never love, send anyone he loves to hell. They are absolutely right. He never sends anyone he loves to hell. All those he sheds, shows his love and puts his love on, he protects forever. But those who hate him, those who have every fiber of their being want to be their own God, they deserve hell. But only Jesus, fully God, fully man, perfectly keeping the law, dying perfectly to death, a death we deserve to die being raised again to new life, only if you are raised with Christ, if you are resurrected with him, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 and Colossians 3, can you have new life? Can you be called his friend? Can you take comfort in this passage? Because our king has overcome the world. And he says, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. They have seen and both hated me and my father. Those who deny that Jesus is God. Who deny the, G- the words of Jesus. 1 John 1.18. No one has ever seen God. The only God. Who is at the father's side. He has made him known. Jesus. God made flesh in which the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. When you see me. When you hear my words. You hear the words of God. And if you hate me. You hate God. There's no mincing words here. We must get this correct. So there's the bad news. But now Jesus is going to let his disciples breathe for just a moment and let us breathe for just a moment. But, verse 25, the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. Why is this happening? Because the scripture has foretold it. It must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Why do we read Psalm 35 earlier? The imprecatory psalms of those who hate God's people and praying for God's judgment on them. Jesus quotes this line, which actually appears in three different psalms. Psalm 35, Psalm 69, and Psalm 109. All of them have the same tone. David and the people of God are hated because of God. The scripture must be fulfilled. It must be fulfilled in Christ perfectly. It must be fulfilled, but here's where the encouragement comes to the believer. Jesus has to be clear. He has to set up clear expectations, and then he sets up encouragement. Verse 26, but, another beautiful but in the Bible, there will be hate, and there will be persecution, and there will be dislike, and they will hate you because of me. But when the helper comes, whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The hatred and persecution must happen. It will happen. But the helper is coming. We spend a lot of time on the work of the helper tomorrow, but the, com- the helper comes to intercede for us, to be a witness to Christ in us. The role of the Holy Spirit in the earth is to bear witness to Christ. Christ. And the role of the Holy Spirit in us is to bear witness to Christ, to remind us of the gospel in the midst of persecution, in in the midst of difficulty. These things will happen. Difficulty will come. But my helper will also come. And everything you need, my spirit will supply for you. And as the spirit reminds us of the gospel and reminds us of Christ and becomes our witness to him, then we grow and we mature And we draw closer to God, our Father, through the blood of Jesus Christ, by the power of his Spirit. And that is how God cares for and encourages his people in the midst of difficulty. We are never told that we will not or should not face persecution. We are guaranteed we will. But we are also guaranteed that we have a comforter in the midst of this. So Jesus is speaking here directly to his disciples. There's a parallel for us. Look at verse 27. And you also were bear witnesses because you have been with me from the beginning. We were not there from the beginning. We are not apostles. Yes, they will bear witness. But the same spirit that was given to them is given to us. And we become his witnesses to all of the nations. You also. At the same time, we are hated by the world. But we are to be a witness to them in love. We're to love our enemies and pray for them. Because it is not our own strength or our own ability to convince anyone that sustains us. It is the Spirit of God that sustains us. And only because of the Spirit of God can we be witnesses. Can we have joy in the midst of trials? Can we persevere? And this is why we get to chapter 16. And this is why we're including this this week. I've told you many times chapter and verse designations are help, helpful if you're going to memorize verses but don't treat them as part of the narrative. So I want to read straight through this because we should not separate these ideas. I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. And this whole discourse Jesus uses these things again and again. If you look at 15:11, these things and when he talks about abiding, these things I have spoken to you that your joy uh, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Abide in me so that you will have joy. These things, again in verse 17, these things I command to you so that you will love one another. These things I say to you. You are mine. I have chosen you so that you love one another. I say these things to have joy. I say these things to have love. These things in verse sixteen, or excuse me, in chapter 16, verse 1, these things I have said to you to keep you from falling away. Don't be surprised that persecution is coming, but I send my spirit. Each one of these things Jesus says with intentionality. So this will connect this week and next week as well. But these next few verses are written directly to the apostles. We're going to see these details here. I don't think any of us has ever been in a synagogue. I don't think any of us has ever been thrown out of a synagogue. But there will be parallels to us as well. But here's what Jesus says in verse 2. They will put you out of the synagogue. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Listen to the certainty of Jesus' voice. This is not maybe if you do, you know, if you kind of fly under the radar. They will put you out of the synagogue. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think they are offering service of service to God. Here is the natural outworking of hating Christ. You will hate and persecute and kill those who bear his name. It is unavoidable. It may be suppressed. It may be kept under the surface. But it has always happened and it will. And we're seeing this more and more in our culture that has typically been friendly to Christians. We have brothers and sisters all over the world right now who are being thrown out of public offices and public spaces. Who are being thrown in jail. Who are being killed and beheaded because of the name of Jesus Christ. It happened to the apostles directly. It's happening to our brothers all over the world. Don't be surprised as the world becomes more and more antagonistic towards us. And within many of our lifetimes, there will be believers in jail for the name of Jesus Christ. And if you don't know this and if you lose sight of this and if you're not prepared for this, if you have a weak faith and if your faith is in your own ability, it will erode underneath you. Jesus says, I tell you these things so that you do not fall away. Jesus is preparing his disciples. Find joy in me. I tell you these things. Find joy in me. Love one another. Know who you are. Know where you can find counsel. Because when persecution comes, the world will not comfort you. We're not meant to find our comfort in the world. The world will hate you. But you will have the spirit of truth. Why? Why is this, Jesus? Verse 3. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. It's as plain as it can be. It doesn't require much explanation. Why? They will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. The battle lines have been drawn. There is no middle ground. Jesus goes on and he says, but I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Why is it so important to remain in God's word? Because when the hour comes, whatever hour Scripture ministers to us, Jesus' words remind us of what he has told us, who he is and what he has done, so that we hide it in our heart and glorify him. So next week we're going to get into more on the role of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' absence. But we as believers are to remember these things when the world shows its true colors. So just a quick conclusion. This passage is meant to give clear warning, to give solid truth in expectation and encouragement. Know whose you are. Know who you are in Christ and what the world thinks about you and the world you're still in. And we must consider this. Do I love Christ? Do I desire the things of Christ? Do I want to be known by Him? Or do I desire the things of the world? So I want to leave you with these words as an encouragement. I'll give you a preview of a couple of weeks from now. Same chapter, chapter 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it encourages us when we need it, and it convicts us when we need it. Thank you for making us uncomfortable. That is not a prayer we like to pray, but Lord, we need to be made uncomfortable when we become complacent. When we make following Christ all about us, when we make a God of our own image, when we seek our own comfort and withdraw within ourselves, let us find our joy in you. Let us find our love in you. Let us love one another in your name and let us take heart when the world hates us. Let us find our joy and our pleasure in you. Let us stand firm on the foundation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because He is our King and He will vindicate us. And we can pray boldly before His throne for deliverance, for comfort, for judgment to those who persecute His people. And our God is faithful. Vengeance and judgment is in His name. We can be in this world, but not of it. Praying for those who persecute us. Loving those who hate us. So the glory of Christ may go out to the nations. His name may be exalted. And it is in His name we pray. Amen.